When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you. 9.04 here on SENZ, uh, the Tuesday after the cricket yesterday. So we're in a slight review mode over last weekend um, in terms of uh, the NRL, perhaps uh, a bit of NPC, and, of course, uh, the EPL, is, uh, which wound up uh, this morning. Uh, and we've got a very happy producer on board today, uh, Ricardo Ball, because Manchester United have beaten Liverpool 2-1. 2-1 at home at Old Trafford. Some very... Excited fans there, finally getting something to smile about. Uh, we'll talk to Ross Taylor around about 9.30 this morning. Um, and uh, Ross, of course, has had the book out. It's been out for uh, just over a week now. We'll chat uh, with him uh, about that and uh, a couple of other issues. And we'll take a look at uh, the performance of the Black Caps too, now that he's able to look down and look back at the, the Black Caps uh, more as a spectator or as a, a reviewer rather than a teammate. Uh, James Parsons uh, after 10 o'clock, uh, former All Black, of course, um, former North Harbour and the Blues. The Harbour side have uh, had a good win over the weekend, beating Tasman, and they have a Shield Challenge this week. Panel this morning of Mark Hinton and James Regan. Uh, Andrew Voss uh, will come and we'll review uh, the NRL from uh, the weekend and see what's coming up in the games of importance this weekend, and a stump smithy too. Uh, well, the 100 bucks up for grabs this morning. And our Mount Rushmore being a Tuesday, of course, most controversial refs, umpires that we can remember in our time watching sport. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, there's not much more slack left to cut the Warriors, so let's not waste what there is. But when a highly respected coach and Stacey Jones and, of course, uh, legend of the club publicly bemoans the attitude, not for the first time in his short tenure, having replaced another coach who the players clearly did not want to play for, you have to take more than just a passing interest. Quite frankly, it's garbage and terribly wrong. Did they not get the message when they returned home? They are a loved bunch, adored in fact by many, despite their win-loss rate. There is spirit in the club, but apparently more so in the grandstands than the dressing room. Shortly, there will be bins upon bins of apples to be picked across Hawke's Bay if they don't like the job they're doing now at a comparatively negligible pay rate, but they just have to take the fruit off the tree, put it in the bin and go home. And if you have to drop one or two, don't worry about it. No pressure. And maybe that's it. Maybe it's the pressure that's the problem. Pressure of having to front up in a responsible manner to respect the jersey, the coach, your teammates, oh yes, and those gullible fans. Cameron George, Andrew Webster, Stacey Jones and co need to sit down as soon as this shamozzle of a season is over and weed out those who don't want to play. 
yes, who don't want to play. Because if that element is at all present at the beginning of next season, even after a break, even with more games at home base, even with a new coaching structure, it will fester and grow again. They need to look seriously at character and will and start from there. As the saying goes, all the world loves a trier. Even at the foot of the table, when they walk down that tunnel to the sound of the drums and the sight of 17,000 fans willing them on, even then, they don't seem to want to try. Give me Thames Valley vs Buller any day of the week. Bus rides and spirit by the bucket load. here on SENZ and yes Margaret Ehrlich uh, the very sad news that Margaret Ehrlich has uh, passed away at the very young age of 57 after a two-year battle with uh, cancer and uh, that'll resonate around the the music industry in this country uh, Ricardo I know you're very close to a lot of musicians in this country and uh, with your history on the, the rock etc but Margaret Ehrlich uh, terrific contribution to New Zealand music yeah, massive contribution to New Zealand music. I mean, that song we played there was something that came out when I was a teenager and, you know, it was a big hit song. I remember watching that on radio with pitches and, and all of those kind of shows when she was with Peking Man. And then she had a massive career on her own as well. I mean, she won so many awards, uh, New Zealand Music Awards, multiple ones of those. She she also won Arias and over in Australia. She won World Music Awards as well. So she was a prolific artist around the world. She had many number ones and, and, and charted all over the show. And there was a p part of, you know, other bands like, you, you'll uh, remember, When the Cat's Away as well, you know, she was a part of that, mm, who, yeah. were, who, who were so big. So, yeah, big loss to New Zealand music and uh, somebody with a great career and gone far too soon at 57. Absolutely. I remember When the Cat's Away vividly, actually. What a terrific little group. Didn't uh, To me, they didn't stay together long enough. I think they would have been quite... Legendary, they went broke away and did their own things, and uh, that's fair enough, I guess. But uh, yeah, I'll remember her for a number of terrific um, contributions to uh, New Zealand music and world music, as you say. So the music industry uh, have lost uh, a really good servant uh, overnight, and they'll be reflecting on it around the country, I'm sure, uh, all of those that uh, have seen her and uh, been with her as such. Uh, right, uh, let's uh, get into the sporting side of things, and on a much happier note for you, Ricardo Ball, uh, let's talk a bit of footy, shall we? Man U 2, Liverpool 1, and uh, some joy at Old Trafford. Yeah, all is right with the world again, Smithy. All is right with the world <laughs> again. 
<laughs> it, was, it was. It seemed uh, they're up two 0 um, Conceded um, conceded one back, and they're under a little bit of pressure towards the end. But I, I, I think they finished fairly strongly. So um, good signs. Yeah, very good signs. And you know, Eric Ten Hag uh, made some big calls. He dropped Harry Maguire. He dropped Cristiano Ronaldo. He dropped Luke Shaw. All big international players. And, uh, you know, he got players in there that were willing to do the running. Uh, it was a much more fluid-looking United. It was a much more athletic-looking United. A- against Brentford last weekend, uh, Brentford ran 13.8 kilometres more than Manchester United in the match. So on Monday, which was their day off, he got them in and made them run 13.8 kilometres, the whole squad. Um, so that's something that I don't think they've had before, a hard taskmaster who's actually holding them accountable and asking the right questions. And, yeah, I think there's a few who have been put on notice. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a terrific result. It's, uh, I know there's, uh, it's part and parcel of the game, but it's very hard. To, you know, I, I don't watch as much football as you, but I, I find it very hard to watch when the histrionics come in and the, the time-wasting and that sort of come, comes in. And I can understand when it's your side that are, are up and you're looking to protect the clock, but... I think in the extra time, there's at least seven or eight fouls, four or five of which were were made to look way worse than they were. Uh, and I, you know, I know you uh, you love the game. I do too. But wow, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and you're right. It's all about killing the clock, right? Because if that foul happens to your player, and you're chasing the game, they're straight up and on with the game. If it happens when they're ahead in the game and trying to run the clock out, all of a sudden they mm-hmm. need treatment and they need and they're complaining and they're wanting a yellow card and they're talking to the referee about why more wasn't done and yeah, as you say, it's uh, I, I guess in inverted commas, Smithy, with a tongue firmly planted in cheek, it's called game management. <laughs> game management, right? Let's look at some of the other games ma- game management uh, over the weekend. There were some uh, some significant and I watched a bit of footy too. Uh, I watched. Uh, Southampton, Leicester. Uh, mm. Leicester went up one 0 Southampton uh, coming back to win that one two one. Yeah, and it's uh, it was a big result for Southampton because Russ uh, Ralph Hasenhutl, who's in charge there, he's been under a bit of pressure. Uh, I mean, Southampton aren't one of the glamour sides. They have sold a few players and they haven't really brought any big names in. Uh, they've managed to hold on to James Ward-Prowse, who is their captain. He's a He's the set-piece taker. That guy doesn't miss a penalty and doesn't miss a free kick. Mm. I think he's closing in on Beckham's record for the most direct free kicks scored in the Premier League as well. Great player. and Yeah, he was instrumental. He set up the second goal, scored the first one. Uh, then, uh, Sorry, set up the second goal. He set up the first one as well. And, yeah, they uh, there was a massive win for them on the road at Leicester, a Leicester team who seemed to be – there's something going on there. So Wesley Fofana – their starting centre-back was out for this game because he wants to move to Chelsea. Chelsea have offered £60 million to Leicester. Leicester are holding up for £80 million. Um, James Madison has been subject to a bid from Newcastle. Uh, Jamie Vardy, he's just signed a new contract. But they haven't signed anyone because they've got such a big squad that they can't actually register anyone new. So they've signed nobody. But they've got all these players mm-hmm. that are now agitating for moves who are coming towards the end of their deals at Leicester. So Brendan Rodgers has got a big job on his hands there. And I don't know how much say he has in terms of the finances of the club. He's, uh, I think some of it's out of his hands. So I think it's a watch of the space because Leicester haven't had a great start to the season. And there'll be a bit of pressure starting to come on Brendan Rodgers as well. Interesting uh, results late in the piece. Uh, Newcastle 3, Manchester City 3, so mm. City drop a point there. Uh, and Leeds uh, 3 over Chelsea 0, who uh, lost a player. Yeah, they did. Um, Koulibaly, who's their big new centre-back that they signed out of Napoli. Um, and 
by all accounts, was going to be the uh, the end of all their defensive problems. Uh, he gave up two silly yellow cards, Smithy. I mean, both of mm. them were for players who were going around him, and he literally WWE'd them, put an arm out around around the neck and brought them down. How he thinks he can do that and you know not get carded, I don't know if he'd get away with that in Serie A, but uh, I wouldn't have thought so. So he ended up off the field, but Chelsea were just very much off the pace. Leeds, uh, under Jesse Marsh, the American... Uh, manager have the really they had a plan uh, they stuck to that plan they pressed Chelsea high gave them no time on the ball like pressed them in their own penalty area and just upset didn't let them get into any sort of rhythm and they they just couldn't recover for whatever reason Chelsea um, after a you know a game last weekend where they drew two with Tottenham but probably should have won that game and looked the better side so it was an out of character mm. performance I think you know Thomas Tuchel's got a bit of work to do there as well it's um, certainly thrown up a lot of interesting results this weekend. Mm, it has. Uh, Spurs, um, top of the table. Um, I'm not uh, saying that for any other purpose than they are, and it, you should take a photo. Uh, beating Wolves 1-0. <laughs> uh, yeah, Everton 1, Nottingham Forest 1. Nottingham Forest con- uh, conceding um, a 1-0 lead as well. And uh, I guess um, Arsenal 3, Bournemouth 0, which is uh, pretty predictable. So... Anything else there to strike your fancy as such? Well, I'd be interested to see Arsenal play um, one of the other big six because they look really good at the moment. I mean, they they opened away at Palace, which is a difficult place to go. Um, you know, lots of teams have dropped points at Palace. Patrick Vera is doing a great job there. Though. I mean, they won that game, and then the next game, Palace go to Liverpool and get a draw, right? So that shows you how good that Palace team are. Uh, then they they hosted Leicester, who we've mentioned. You know, they've got Yuri Tillemans and Fafana and uh, Vardy and Madison, a lot of great players. They beat them 4-2. So they're looking very good. I'd lo- like to see them come up against a City or a Liverpool or a Chelsea and just see how they go. Um, but I think signs are that Mike, uh, Mikel Arteta is doing some really good things at Arsenal. And three games in, they're the only team in the Premier League, Smithy, with a perfect record. Three games, three wins. So they're top of the table now. Okay, um, coming up um, in the Australian Cup quarterfinal, mm-hmm. uh, we've got um, Wellington Phoenix playing against MacArthur. They've uh, eliminated uh, Melbourne City, of course, um, uh, around about a week ago. So prospects there to go uh, even further in the competition. I mean, this is uh, I like this competition for uh, a couple of reasons. One, it's a, a nice competition in its own entity, but... God, it gives you a nice insight, doesn't it, as a pre-season? It does, yeah, and it was a great result. I mean, uh, the Phoenix knocked Wellington, uh, sorry, Melbourne City out of the Cup last year as well, uh, and they got to the semi-final. So they'll be looking to repeat that. And they play a MacArthur team who last season, what they did is they basically looked at all the other teams in the league and signed their best players. Um, and they had this... They had no defence, but they had all these attacking players and, and, and all these uh, creative midfielders, and they couldn't really make it work um, and for whatever reason. You know, they had Ulysses Davia from from uh, the Phoenix. Uh, they had Craig Noon, who'd played in the championship for Cardiff and a few other teams as well, playing in that team. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the Bulls look this season, Smithy, because uh, do you know who the MacArthur Bulls uh, coach is for this season? No, I do not. Dwight York. Oh, Dwight York. Yeah. Wow. So, he coached the A-League All-Stars in that game um, that they had against Barcelona in the uh, sort of in, in the preseason, and uh, then got the off the back of that, off that All Stars game, got the MacArthur job. He's had no coaching experience that I'm aware of prior to that, so it's a big call. But I, I assume they're thinking it's his uh, his gravitas and and his mana as a player will have an effect on the dressing room. He obviously knows the top level and he'll have connections. So uh, things uh, are looking interesting. I think MacArthur will be. 
if you could do an Amazon documentary on any team in the A-League this year, it would be MacArthur, I think. And and they just, uh, you know, uh, about three weeks ago, had a sixth and win in his first game in charge. So they're obviously tracking all right, and they're through to the quarterfinals of the, of the Australia Cup as well. Football Ferns under 20 um, wrapped up their uh, tournament, their World Cup tournament as such, uh, in Costa Rica. Um, what did you make of their overall performance and when you compare this this style and their standard of football to some of the other sides? Yeah, I think I was a bit disappointed, to be honest. I mean, they had a tough mm. group, right? They had the Germans, they had Colombia, they had Mexico. Uh, so it was a tough group. They got a one-all draw in the first game against the Mexicans and I thought they played pretty well. It was reasonably even. Against Germany, I think they, they maybe got a little bit overawed because it was Germany. And they, uh, they they let the Germans really come onto them in the second half. I mean, it was nil all at half time in that game, Smithy, and they lost 3 0 in the end. Um, and then they played Colombia in the last game. Now, Colombia had beaten the Germans earlier, so that shows you how good yeah. the Columbi- this Colombian team was. Uh, but they seemed to really take it to Colombia. Uh, the, the problem was for them, I think, and, and maybe this is a mentality thing, maybe it's an experience thing, but. Once they got inside the, the Colombian third, their first touch really seemed to let them down. They got in some really good positions, and you know, then a player takes a touch, which looks more like a pass because it goes so far off of them. And uh, they, they seeded position in some really good positions, and I think that was disappointing. I mean, they got a two-all draw, and they scored two fantastic goals in that game. They took the lead. They were 2-1 up. Uh, they were 1-0 up. Uh, at one point, and they got it back to two all, and they they were exerting all the pressure on Colombia, but they couldn't get it done. They had the opportunities. I think ultimately they'll be disappointed, and I think there's still work to do because, like I said, that first touch in the attacking third really let them down, and it's something that we didn't see from the Colombians or the Germans. So I think that's the difference. Okay, um, so uh, and how many of those players would be possibly would we see next year in the World Cup? Any any candidates there? I think um, Alyssa Winham, definitely, and Grace Wisniewski as well. They will both be in the in the Ferns, and I'd say probably Kate Taylor. So I think there's definitely those three. I mean, Alyssa Winham against Colombia, she was the player of the match. She was just superb. She was playing the Colombians like a Brazilian. She was running at them with the ball at feet, beating players. Uh, she had a couple of decent shots. She was playing players in the space. She looked, she looked really, really good. Probably the best performance I've seen her. Okay, let's. Uh, can I just get, get back to Cristiano Ronaldo now? And, mm. and I, I watched his body language when he came on. Uh, he ran. He, he was like a rabbit, really, just uh, trying to run and, and, and shut Liverpool down with their first um, uh, line of attack, which, of course, was their back four as they're looking to come forward to get an equaliser. So he ran. He had uh, one touch. I think he had a shot on goal, which ballooned over the top. And there was an ironic smile on his face as if to say, almost as if to say, <laughs> really, really? <laughs> You know, um, I've been. Uh, where do you see that future there, and where do you see Harry Maguire now? Well, there's there's been the story about Harry Maguire that Chelsea are interested, and if they can't, if they don't want to pay eighty million for Fafana out of Leicester, maybe that's where they go. And I think it would be a a, wor- uh, a move that works for both parties. You know, uh, I think he probably needs a fresh start, and I, I kind of get the feeling that United are done with him. Uh, fans definitely, I, I don't think he suits the Ten Hag style. So that's one thing. Uh, we'll just have to keep an eye on that. Cristiano Ronaldo, he just doesn't have the physicality. Um, to you know, to be able to run all day uh, and and press from the front like Eric Ten Hag wants to do, like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer mm. wanted to do as well. So it's just a matter of trying to find somewhere for him. And at the moment, I don't think there's anywhere there's anywhere that can take him. He wants to play Champions League football. I think he thought that he he put that out and then 
there would be suitors galore. Uh, but I think the only club that thinks that they might want to take him is um, Sporting in Portugal. I mean, Dortmund have said no. The two Milan clubs have said no. Real Madrid and Barcelona have said no. PSG have said no. Um, Chelsea is a maybe, I suppose, because Todd Bowley's talked about that, the, the new owner. But, yeah, I, I I think he's probably stuck at United for the rest of the season, to be honest. And I just don't, I think he will be used sparingly. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Not the way... Not the way I would imagine he wanted to finish his career anyway. Ricardo, thank you very much for that. Uh, Ricardo Ball, of course, is uh, our football pundit. Happy man this morning, Manchester United 2. Liverpool 1. We'll take a short break uh, when we come back. Uh, We've got two or three uh, texts to to read out. 8833 is our text line today, actually, uh, and it uh, always is. But um, our thing today is uh, umpires or referees that have really got up your nose. And particularly we're talking high-profile ones here, not club ones uh, from last Saturday, but... High-profile ones which have affected the history of uh, sport, perhaps for us or other people as well. Uh, so uh, that's our Mount Rushmore. If you can come up with four, that would be great. Ricardo and I have both got four. We'll do that with you around about 11.40 this morning. Uh, and also, um, you know, what about the All Blacks? I mean, there's a test match. There's a test match this weekend. My understanding is, uh, from what I've heard, it's not a sellout either. Um, so is that a reaction from Canterbury people, that they didn't get what they want in terms of the All Black coach, so they're not going to turn up? I, I hate... I, I mean, Canterbury people are uh, avid sports fans as well, and it's the All Blacks at the end of the day with a lot of Canterbury uh, Crusaders personnel within it. So is that really the case, or you just don't want to go? You just don't want to go to New Zealand versus Argentina. If you're down in Christchurch, give us a text, double eight, double three. it's 9.24. Text has come in and said, I don't agree with the Foster decision personally, but it's the All Blacks, and we haven't had a game since 2016. Get to the game, Canterbury. Yeah, I'm about the same with that, actually, to be perfectly honest. Uh, hey, Smithy uh, Red comes in and said, uh, come on the Valley. I mentioned him very briefly in the sermon. It's Thames, Thames Valley Centenary this weekend. Well, there you go. Uh, might look into that later in the week. So uh, Thames Valley, good old heartland province there. Uh, centenary this weekend. Sean has come in and said, my four for Mount Rushmore, Steve Randell, Daryl Hare, Wayne Barnes and Colin Hawke. Okay. Um, and Brad has come in and said, hey, Colin Hawke, Wayne Barnes, Jeff the Ref, Jeff the Ref from Cromwell, and Tim Donaghy, who is uh, an NBA referee. So there you go. Keep the, uh, those coming in, folks. Uh, and there's another one that's uh, come in and said, Smithy, uh, what about your thoughts on no more crooked at, at Pukakura Park? No money, I guess. Well, it's an interesting one, and I'll tell you what, it's something I'm going to ask uh, Ross Taylor about very shortly because Pukakura Park, I'm led to believe, is one of his favourite hunting grounds and one of his favourite places to play. Certainly was the case for the late Martin Crowe. Uh, it is 9.30 here, time for the news, and then Ross Taylor after that. Pleased to say that our guest is uh, on the line for the next uh, segment of the show, and that, of course, is former Black Cap uh, Ross Taylor. Good morning to you, Ross. Morning, Smitty. How are you, man? Uh, look, Black and White, the book, uh, it's been out for, what, a week to 10 days now? How's the book tour going? Yeah, it's been good. Um, number one bestseller in... In New Zealand, non-fiction and fiction after three days. So, um, yeah, obviously proud of that. And nice to get around uh, some of the rural places that we we don't get to play cricket and, and see some familiar faces along the way as well. Okay, so uh, what's what's been the, the reaction, Ross? And, and, I mean, when you've been talking to people, uh, apart from the fact they've been coming up and, and spending the money on the book and you've been signing it, what, what what's the general chat that, that you've been having with people? Oh, I think they've... Um, 
definitely been positive. Uh, obviously, a lot of people have congratulated me um, on my career, but um, you know, a lot of probably the most telling thing was a lot of people watched that Sky interview with Laura. Um, mm-hmm. I think they've all been um, interested in that and, and how that came across and, and probably gave um, the book a bit more publicity than, than it would have. So uh, there's a few things that uh, revealed in that interview that um, was obviously in the book and um, has stirred the interest up. What's what's the most commonly asked question uh, about the book? Is, is it the captaincy issue? Is it, what is what is the, the the one that people perhaps uh, you've found are, are most inquisitive about? Um, yeah, I think I think in terms of the obviously there's there's a lot made of the racism um, and the papers. There's a little bit of clickbait. I, I think um, you know you know I touch on it and and there is three or four pages in there. Um, but no, I think the po- people obviously talk about the captaincy, um, a little bit of racism, David White and, and the awards and, and things like that. So, yeah, I think those things that people didn't know about, um, uh, obviously, and, and a little bit of things about me growing up that a lot of people want to know as well. Yeah, I found that, that part of it, uh, the pre-Ross Taylor, when um, when I, I, I first met you, that, that pre Part of uh, growing up in the Wairarapa, going down to uh, Athletic Park, etc. Uh, I mean, that was quite quite fascinating. Was it was it hard to recall some of that stuff? Or did you really have to sit down and think about it, or has it always been there? Uh, yeah, I think you. I guess you. I've lived uh, and done some pretty amazing things that I, you know, that you do forget about. But um, you know, every time you watch the All Blacks, I've only watched the All Blacks a few times, but I never forget the time that I had to jump on the on the train, and Mum and Dad put me on the train by myself as an eight-year-old, um, and sitting there uh, next to Zinzan Brook. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't let Jonty walk down to the dairy by himself at eight. So, uh, you know, to see how how um, you know we've changed uh, over time is, is, is funny as well. When you look back on the fact that you you moved um, uh, in that uh, last couple of years of secondary school from uh, from Wairapa to Palmerston North, how instrumental um, do you think that was uh, in terms of where you ended up? Uh, yeah, I think it, it had a big part to play. I think um, playing those traditional winter schools against Wellington College, Auckland Grammar, Wanganui Collegiate, um, being away from home, being away from your your support structure and, and growing up really quickly was a was a massive influence, I think. Um, and you're with your friends uh, 24/7. Um, I think it, it definitely fast-tracked my my cricket. I, I feel um, I, I think I still would have succeeded if I'd stayed in Wairapa, but I think Palms North definitely, um, you know, to rub shoulders with a, a lot of different people that I wouldn't have uh, had I stayed in, in Marston. Was it ever a tough choice between cricket and hockey? Um, no, not really. I think I was always slightly better at cricket than than hockey, and um, you know, I you saw the the career path. I think you know you can make a living um, out of playing cricket. Where um, hockey, you know, it was only a select few. You know, admittedly, um, you know, when I wanted to play cricket, there was no IPL or or, thing, or things like that. Um, you know, to make money, you had to obviously play for New Zealand. Um, and and to probably go and play county cricket. 
Ross, um, obviously when you read the book, you know, you've released a lot of things, um, you know, off your chest, etc., that have been sitting there for quite some period of time. Uh, how, how good do you feel now that you've been able to do that and, and publicly let those things out? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you're not really sure how the reaction's going to be. Um, you know, when you play for New Zealand and the things that did happen to, to me, um, you know, I just I just had to keep it inside. I wasn't able to talk about it. Um, you know, obviously that's a little bit of a conscious decision, but, um, you know, I wouldn't have had much of a career if I'd told my story at the time. But, um, no, I mean, obviously looking back on it, 2012, uh, when it did happen, um, I was working with Gilbert Anoka, the mental skills coach, uh, for the All Blacks and you know he said to me Ross um, you know don't forget this this is going to make a good book um, so it was first back then that Gilbert sowed the seed with me and um, probably six or seven months later I met the publishers uh, we talked about um, the incident uh, or the incidents and I got her off my chest then um, so you know I always knew um, that this day would come it was nice Paul Thomas and I never really even talked about the captaincy or you already had 20 25,000 words to reflect back on and, and go over um, so you know for me it was just to elaborate on a few things so no it was nice I think it's a it's a good read um, you know it, it covers a lot of things in my career not just <clears throat> not just the negatives um, you know there's a lot of positive and, and funny stories in there as well it is I mean and, and that is um, I think what people shouldn't forget is that um, sometimes the issues uh, can those sorts of issues can cloud can cloud over what uh, Ross Taylor's career was generally all about, and that was scoring runs and being part of winning sides. And uh, I, I don't think we should um, we should ever let anything detract from that. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I suppose you, the media um, have got to go in their different directions. I mean, um, you know, well-being is quite topical at the moment, and no one's really uh, mentioned anything about that. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, as I said, I didn't really know where it was going to go. Um, I knew that it would stir up some interest, but um, uh, I hope people uh, that read it um, get a little bit of an insight into me and, and um, how I tick and, and a few stories along the way as well. Now that, um, you know, you've, you've cut your ties with the international side of things and it's been a little while, um, do you still miss it? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I miss elements of it. I... The, um, the lunch at Lords. I was a bit jealous when the, I watched that first test. Um, <laughs> but no, I think, um, yeah, I didn't miss watching it from home. Devin Conway going out to bat at two for two. Uh, that's when I said to my wife, I'm, I'm happy to be watching this in bed. Um, but no, I've had my time. I, I look forward to watching from afar and, and seeing how the team uh, develops uh, over the coming years. So when you say you look forward to it from afar, I mean, I mean it's been part and parcel of, of your life, really, um, for so long. You, you must surely going to have some sort of uh, attachment to it in some way looking forward, going forward? Yeah, I think, um, you know, regardless of of what you, you do, whether you work in cricket or work outside of cricket when you've played as long as I have and and had an involvement, um, you're going to be involved in some capacity. I've already been asked from a, a few players to mentor them, and um, and I look forward to doing that. I mean, I had a, a close relationship with with a few former players, and, and obviously Martin Crowe, so it would be nice to pass on that knowledge. There's no use playing 450 games for your country and 
going and doing something else. I, I look forward to, I've just started a new job a um, couple of days a week in, in Auckland uh, with a company in Auckland, Castle Point. But, um, you know, that gives me the flexibility to go and play, um, you know, tournaments around the world and, and still play for Central Districts, but also, um, you know, learn a, learn a new role. And um, I'm excited for that. So what are you doing? Tell us about Castle Point. Uh, I'm, a, uh, I'm a client relationship manager. They run a few um, a few funds in, in Australia and in New Zealand equities. So something that I've been passionate about for, for a few years now. And um, I've been working with them on and off um, in a sort of an ambassador role, I guess, since 2018. Um, but, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give you a call later, Smithy, and we'll, we'll talk money. Well, we could talk payback. Uh, that would be nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, here's, I've still got those receipts from that dairy around the corner. Uh, right, right, okay, let's let's look at a couple of let's look at a couple of uh, issues uh, on world cricket now, of course. Um, and one of the, the things that is uh, quite concerning because uh, you've you've got a great passion for this and your career uh, will be defined, I think, by it is Test cricket, Ross, and that is. Uh, the future of Test cricket, uh, you know, KP, Kevin Peterson, a lot of players, Michael Vaughan, etc., coming out and saying they fear for uh, Test cricket now because of the uh, the continuing continuing to develop as a T20 game and and the fact that windows are closing when the five five day game can be played. Do you fear for Test cricket? Yeah, I think so. I think um, you know, with all these leagues and coming up, um, you know, Bolte's just uh, you know. Not not taken as or reneged on his contract with New Zealand to to spend more time um, with his family, but you know he signed for a couple of different leagues um, already after the news had, had broke. So yeah, I think um, you know IPL is getting longer. Um, these other tournaments are, are just creating such a small window, and obviously the game of cricket. Um, you know I think too we won't. As the New Zealand side won't play three Test match series very often. I mean, we don't do that now. Um, I think it's it's going to be very rare uh, in the coming times. But um, no, I think hopefully the administrators and the players still 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 hold Test cricket, um, you know, as the ultimate. But um, you know, as I think I saw yesterday, um, I think Graham Smith said that. Test cricket could only be played by four or five, maybe six nations in, in the coming years, which would be disappointing. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are, are onto the same theme about this. Um, you know, it would be would be very very disappointing. I mean, because if you can if you compare the, the three forms of cricket, um, Test cricket to One Day International cricket to T uh, Twenty cricket, I mean, obviously T Twenty cricket is where um, you got some some great financial reward out of it, but. How would you rate them now, looking back? Well, it goes in that order, I think. Um, Test cricket, one-day cricket, 2020. I, don't get me wrong, I love um, playing 2020 cricket, um, but it's not the it's not the best format of the game. Um, you, I think there's, it's getting saturated, um, and when when the same when the same players are playing in the same tournaments, it's actually quite hard for the general public to know what's going on. Um, you know, a lot of people are going, I. I they just can't get into all these different tournaments. Um, you know, New Zealand's probably one of the only tournaments that doesn't have, are not owned by overseas um, franchise and it doesn't have mm. international players um, playing in it. So, you know, are we missing the boat in that? In that, um, you know, time will tell. But uh, yeah, I, 
Fish cricket's still the ultimate. I still feel there's definitely a, um, a time for one-day cricket, I think, as, as you're starting to see now. I think we played seven ODIs around about um, from when we lost the final um, in 2019. So one-day cricket at the moment is the one that's getting squeezed the most. Um, but I still feel like that's probably the most high-profile of the, the one-day World Cup. Or the the one-day World Cup is probably one of the most high-profile that teams want to win. So, yeah, I think there's definitely uh, a squeeze in there that's not probably um, getting managed at the moment, but uh, time will tell. Just uh, finally, Ross, I could talk to you for for, uh, for hours, actually, but uh, just finally, um, words coming through that uh, Pukakura Park might no longer be a first-class uh, cricket venue as such. Um, that would be, for me anyway, I mean, it's been donkey's years since I've uh, even been there, but uh, my memory is, is something fantastic. Uh, you've been there a lot more recently than me. If that was to go off the cricketing landscape, what, what would be missing? Oh, it's my favourite ground in the country. Um, you know, people ask me the question a lot on the tour. Uh, your favourite ground, Lords, Adelaide Oval, Pukakura Park. I mean, it would be, be hugely disappointing, not only for the Taranaki people, um, and Central Districts cricket, but the players alike. I mean, the players love it. Um, maybe not so much the bowlers, but um, the batters certainly, <laughs> certainly enjoy um, Pukakura Park. It's, it's so picturesque and, and the history around it. Um, you know, hopefully uh, hopefully the council and, and New Zealand cricket can um, sort something out and it's not a political play to, to get stuff done um, that, you know, Central Districts and and... You know, all those players. I know the players love playing here, and hopefully, it's uh, it sorts itself out in, in time. So, um, and, and the book tour now. Have you got anything left to do, or are you heading anywhere else so that people can come and meet you? Uh, no, it's been. I haven't got a lot planned now. I um, I've just signed on as an ICC ambassador, so um, I've got to take the World uh, Twenty Twenty World Cup to Fiji, um, which will be a tough ask. Oh, um, going there for a couple of days um, but then I've just signed to go to a Legends League in, in, a, in India as well so head off there in a, in a couple of weeks so um, there's a few little things here in Hamilton um, planned but, uh, but, but not a lot, lot more Okay, well good luck with those um, and uh, yeah, tough, must, must be tough going to Fiji uh, two or three times a month so uh, we'll look out for you there uh, Nine. <laughs> 47 here. Uh, Ross Taylor, uh, congratulations on a very, very successful book. Great read. Um, and good luck with what's coming up, eh? Uh, thanks, Millie. Cheers, uh, Ross Taylor there, folks. It's uh, 9.47 here on SCNZ. we we'll are talking to uh, James Parsons uh, after the 10 o'clock news. We'll talk about uh, the NPC. What an intriguing uh, weekend of results it was when you consider... Uh, Taranaki, who uh, had looked anything but a good side on that uh, very same Pukakura Park, knocking over Canterbury 16-10. And how about Northland uh, travelling uh, down to Wellington at uh, Jerry Collins uh, Stadium out there uh, in Porirua and uh, beating Wellington 15-6. Incredible results uh, against the odds, really. You would think uh, if you look at uh, what had been happening and uh, the strength of Canterbury rugby side, which were, yeah, they were just monstered, really, for a large part of that game. Um, Otago 37, Southland 32, a thriller down there. Uh, and the one I want to talk about, uh, James, uh, about is North Harbour 35, Tasman 27. Who'd have thought that?
um, Bay of Plenty 21, Auckland 17. What a terrific uh, round of, uh, of NPC rugby over the weekend. It, it, it really was. Um, we'll also be talking to uh, Vossi after 11 o'clock this morning too on uh, the NRL and happenings within and uh, your opportunity too to win uh, $100 when we play Stump Smithy around about 11.30 and keep those ticks coming in. Right, multi-time here at uh, St. Louis Cardinals uh, to beat uh, the Cubs, Chicago Cubs today in uh, Major League Baseball. That's $1.58. In tennis, uh, Jason Kubler to beat uh, Sun Woo Kun at uh, $1.74. And uh, qualifying uh, match for Champions League tomorrow morning, first thing, uh, Benfica to beat Dynamo, Dynamo Kiev at $1.29. That multi's up to $3.55. The cards, Kubler into Benfica, $3.55. We'll be back with uh, James Parsons uh, after 10 o'clock with our look at this intriguing competition which is becoming uh, the NPC. Have they found the right formula? Odds against evens. It seems with the evenness of the matchups in the first three rounds, they just might have done that. And also North Harbour, Hawke's Bay this Saturday afternoon, Ranfilly Shield. It is 10.04 here on SENZ. Time to talk a bit of uh, rugby and uh, in particular a little bit of NPC rugby because I, for one, have been intrigued with the results that have been happening in the competition so far. I think it's been fascinating. I think it's been damn good as well. Uh, joined now by uh, James Parsons, of course, uh, former North Harbour Blues and uh, All Black hooker who uh, has also got a very successful show with uh, Bryn Hall and uh, Ross Carl on Sky TV as well as they look at uh, events happening in rugby. James, good morning to you. G'day, Smithy, mate. Good to be on. Yeah, nice to have you here, uh, mate. What an intriguing round of results last weekend in the NPC. Man, it, it was fascinating. Taranaki, 16, Canterbury, 10. Um, um, North Harbour, 35, Tasman, 27. Bay of Planning knocking over Auckland at Eden Park and... Taranaki uh, and Wellington, of course, losing to Northland. Man, I didn't forecast many of those. No, neither did I, to be honest. Um, especially the Taranaki one, even in wet conditions, after, you know, sort of what we'd seen in the first few rounds. Uh, Canterbury, you know, were just running hot, but that forward effort, Pareti, uh, Boucher, Soakula. Soakula really lined up. It looked like he made a personal um, challenge to himself to sort of outplay Cullen Grace, and, and he certainly uh, did that on the day. So uh, exciting, you know, turn of events for them, and I know their coaching staff and Neil Barnes and Jared Hoyata are, are a lot happier this week. Yeah, they would have had to be because they'd been battling, and, of course, Barnsley was an advocate of uh, changing the competition to uh, this style. Uh, the other one that really uh, intrigued me in pretty average conditions, um, Porirua, Northland travelling to Wellington and knocking him over 15-6. Now, that is a turn-up. Yeah, it certainly is, and it was a huge defensive effort by Northland. Um, they, they, Wellington had you know, plenty of opportunity inside the 22, sort of similar to Canterbury in a way, and they just couldn't um, get across the line. And then Northland, to their credit, they obviously rolled up their sleeves for a driving more, but then uh, went bang, bang just before half-time, and um, you know, no score in the second 40, but it's, it's those opportunities you talk about, and they only got two, and they caught two, which was pleasing to see for them and look another coach um, that I've spoken to regularly is Marty Deal obviously taking the forward pack and he's he's uh, fair to say he was determined to bring a real edge and steel in that pack and, and that's again off the back of you know, Jersey's 1-8 to eight that allowed them to get the victory on the day um, Other result uh, Bay of Plenty uh, knocking over Auckland, it's, it's also to be um, 
remembered as well, there was um, some all-black talent filtered back into some of these sides, uh, James, including RTS for Auckland, but they are plenty too good. Yeah, Caleb Trask is probably the best kind of season player. I was actually speaking with Clayton McMillan last week, and I was saying how good is you know Caleb Trask playing in just in the first two rounds, and he backed it up again. Um, you know, just it's his efforts. You know, like it wasn't you know super talent, but you know he put a kick in and he chase it and you know force a drop out. And, and crucial moments in the game, you know, they, they're small moments at the time, but when you review on the game, they're, they're, they're massive moments. Um, so he, he's really leading that team really well and just shows when some of these players, you know, bring Gatlin the same, um, they are the difference in, in the results. And when they get good minutes, um, you know, they can really show what they're about. Uh, a real uh, game of interest for you, of course, uh, North Harbour 35. Uh, Tasman 27, which um, on previous years um, would be regarded as a, a bit of a turn-up, but uh, not this year. Yeah, it's funny, our, our little battle with Tasman, we, they seem to always be, well, we seem to be their bogey team. Even when they're running hot, we managed to sneak past them a few times. So um, it's, it's a rivalry I know the Harbour team really gets up for, and um, I just think they played really smart. Uh, they got points when they were down in their half and you know, picking them up in, in threes. Um, you know, a lot of sides are going for those bonus points, but they're smart enough to pick up the threes, and that, that was the difference. And, you know, Bryn Gatlin, he is in some, some touch as well. You know, he had a massive season for the Chiefs, really made that 10 jersey his own. And, and to see him, you know, as skipper, uh, leading the boys around, and uh, there's, there's certainly a, an air of confidence in their camp. Uh, leading the squad is a big week. I've, um, I've been looking at uh, the, the the way this competition is playing out because this is a revamped version they've gone uh, to odds and evens in other words if you finish first third fifth uh, last year in the in the standings then of course you're going to be in the same group this time around it, it seems as if it's balanced it out I don't know whether it's by fluke or whatever but it, it's it's really made to the point James where every game really matters and every game is very interesting yeah and it, I, I don't know for some reason as well I just feel like the spread of talent has has gone really wide. You even look at like your team like Southland, who've been unlucky to, you know, lose the the games they've been in. But it just it is such a balanced comp. And, uh, you know, you, using the NRL as an example, when they have the mind you, not based on the weekend just being, but the, the salary cap does does uh, you know keep teams even and it, and it makes every game interesting. I mean, it's certainly that way. Uh, it's most exciting. Um, the competition's been like not to say that the other years, you know, with Premiership Championship weren't, but with the one trophy and the evenness of the tables, it just brings, you know, an edge to it. And there's traditionalists like myself that will turn up and watch every game, but it's the, the exciting thing is it's bringing, you know, fans in waiting, um, as they like to say, uh, to the to the game of rugby. And at a time that uh, we know that, you know, we're probably struggling for that sort of eyes on our game. So it's an exciting time for for the NPC. Exciting time and an exciting week for North Harbour, as you mentioned before, a significant week for them. It could well be because they travel to McLean Park. Uh, Hawke's Bay have been holding on uh, quite uh, strongly to the Ranfurly Shield, although Counties Monaco gave them a hell of a fright last time round. Um, what, what are you expecting? In terms of a Shield build-up, what's the difference? Oh, this you, you don't feel niggles, that's for sure. <laughs> The body feels 100 on, on Monday, win, win, lose or draw the, the, the previous game. And, you know, the focus and, you know, not that the the edge isn't there, but even at training, you know you're playing for a spot on a massive occasion. Um, so, uh, you know, there's just a natural spring 
in the step building into it. And um, you know, I know there's a there's a bit of a battler mindset in, in the Harbour Ford pack at the moment. They're not liking that uh, people are referring to them like that. So there's a bit of chip on the shoulder. Um, and, and from what I've seen in that pack, you know, even in the first two days of training, um, you know, it's, it's pretty pretty exciting. And, and, um, and it, it will be the difference. Like Hawks Bay, they continue to be. Um, you know, a, a dominant force in the um, jerseys one to eight and driving malls, breakdowns. You saw, even though they lost to Otago, they won the collision areas. They just they just couldn't finish the opportunities that they had and obviously bounced back after a slow start against Manawatu. So, make no bones about it, it'll be no different for them because, you know, having to defend it, it just brings the best out of both sides. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of X factor in the harbour backline, but if they can't provide that front football and you know have that sort of speed of game that they've shown, um, you know, Hawks Bay will, will be really tough at home. I watched the West Lake game uh, when they won uh, their, their competition the other day. There was a pretty healthy uh, crowd there for secondary school rugby. What would winning the Shield do to crowds, etc? Do you feel within North Harbour? I just think it would bring, like, sort of what I was saying, like, when there's a tight competition, it brings people along because they're interested, they don't know what the results mean, and it's no different for our community on the North Shore. I, I remember back in 06, the first year I was in the team, and, um, you know, we we were called the Stadium of Echoes before winning that, and then all of a sudden, you know, the plans flopped to the, the parade and the games, and, you know, we managed to keep it for the summer, which was exciting. Um, so it, it means a hell of a lot, and you know schools and all that will you know want to touch the shield um, because it's a short turnaround to defending against counties the following week. Um, so yeah, I, I think if they do win it, you can expect a, a, a pretty big uh, crowd uh, come come the following Sunday uh, when they play counties. It would be great, uh, and counties are a worthy challenge. I can promise you that if you manage to get hold of it. But uh, first things first, okay. Um, and uh, following on, of course, uh, after that, there's a little matter of a test match, uh, James against uh, Argentina. Uh, and finally, we're uh, we're not talking about the the coaching setup as such and who should stay and who should go. We now know what's in concrete. Are you happy with what they've got now? Yeah, I think it gives the team clear air. And you know, I, I was. Um, chatting with Scott Berger around it, and he he said he was surprised, you know, for players to come out that firmly in support. It's, it was always going to be a tough challenge to, you know, make huge change because that's normally a sign. Like if, if they didn't and, and they lost the dressing room, it could have been different. Obviously, the result helped as well. But I really like the idea of like Joe's a real technical, tactical coach. So you know, in terms of detail. Um, level of understanding that they need to go into a test match and, and clarity of mind of what you just need to do for your role um, will free them up and, and hopefully see the performance uh, that we saw in, in South Africa and, and some innovation. I, I don't think there'll be mass changes to their strategy um, straight away. You don't, you know, it's already a, a pressure cooker. So, you know, similar to when Jason Ryan came in, it was about stripping things back. And I think we'll see some innovation and, and some new stuff from set piece. Uh, strike attacks, but in terms of phase play, uh, I think those changes we'll see over time and, and, and I suppose sort of the next four or five test matches. Did we find the answer in the front row? Uh, was it the fact that, um, that this combo actually got it together and, and were what you wanted to see or were South Africa a little bit below power? Were we duped a wee bit there or do you like what you're seeing there? 
I, re- I I really did like what I saw. Like it was it was three guys with massive opportunity and a massive test. You know, Tyrell Lomax originally not making it in. You know, absolutely delivered in probably the toughest position on the field when you're playing the Springboks. Um, Ethan De Groot sent away, told he needed to get fitter. Well, he did that in spades and. Now, we didn't have it all our own way at scrum time, but you know they, they fought hard and held their own. And, and where they were probably the most impressive for me and, and probably led by Samasoni, um, Pakiaho, was they simplified the carry and the clean area. You, you didn't see the tips early. You didn't see um, any of the balls going out the back and we're trying to beat that rush defence. They went hard. They went fast. And because and the clean-out was so effective, by, um, those, those three men or the carry was really effective from Samasoni, it meant the Springboks couldn't get set defensively, which means they can't bring the line speed, which creates space for Jordan and Co. out wide. So it really does start up front and just keeping things simple. And it's no different past this this week. You know, um, Pablo Matera, obviously, on the Argentinian side, he'll have an idea of how um, some of the key All Blacks want to play and also the way they want to play in Christchurch. Uh, that is a big um, success for the Crusaders. They have a style they play in, Crus- uh, in down in Christchurch and it's really hard to beat. So the fact he's got that inside knowledge, uh, I think it's a, it's a real big win for, for Argentina in the way they need to execute. But if the All Blacks keep it simple, they you know get parity at set piece. Don't need to have dominance as long as there's parity at set piece. Um, and you know you see that simplicity of carry clean, get across the breakdown, uh, get across the gain line. Uh, I think we, we should see us um, have another victory. James, in terms of the hocking role, is the is the Samasoni Tokiaho, is the uh, you know is, is the Malcolm Marks the, the the bulky guy, the ball carrier, the strong over the ball hooker? Is is he what's required these days? Look, I think it is when you play sides like South Africa and Argentina, uh, when team you know, and even France to effect, probably Ireland as well. So if you want to slip back into that top forward. Um, I think he's showing a way um, that that it's done, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the hooker does that. You've just got to have guys in the pack that can play that role. And he, you know, between himself and Shannon Frizzell, they were massive. So it doesn't have to be specific to the hooking position. But I, I based on his performances around set piece and what he's doing around the field, the energy and enthusiasm he's showing, I think he's, you know, he, he's he's claimed the incumbent status of um, that hooking jersey, in my opinion. Okay, um, so would, would you forecast any changes? I mean, you know, everyone being fit, etc. Where would you go with the, uh, our starting 15 um, compared to uh, perhaps what we last saw? Well, I, I, I felt like Richie Moonga uh, brought the best out of our midfield. We already freed up Rico, got David Havili into the game, but also... The, being able to bring David Havili into the kicking game also doesn't mean all the pressure or kick pressure or focus is on uh, Richie Mwanga. So I, I don't think there'll be too much change in the back line and I don't think there needs to be. It's almost like you know, you're under the sort of pressure and um, intensity after the losses and all the intention of sort of finals footing. You watch all super sides or any team leading to finals, you get quite a consistent 23. And we all know that one win's not going to relieve that pressure. It's going to, you know... Um, get some energy and excitement and some positivity around the team but you know mm. it's, a, it's a big test so I don't see I don't foresee too many changes um, but potentially if they do the job really well in Christchurch then maybe in the second outing versus Argentina James Parsons uh, always great to catch up um, 
Uh, I'm not quite sure whether you've been Napier at the weekend. What is your program? Yeah, yeah, I'm on, I'm on the game, so I'm pretty excited. But Shield Fever is uh, alive and well in my household, and obviously my cousin plays for uh, Hawks Bay and Tom Parsons, so yeah. the, the banter is free-flowing, so there's, there's plenty of excitement. <laughs> It'll be a great occasion, whatever. James, say, great catching up, mate. Uh, all the best Saturday, and thanks for your time this morning. Cheers, Nadine. Have a good day. Cheers. Listen to this, too, while you go. Underneath the sunshine and the big sky of the bay He's done the right thing, James Parsons. He's hung up. <laughs> Good on you, Ricardo. I love it. Just a little bit more as we go into the break. Just a wee bit more, please. Oh, just a part here. Oh, my God. It's a joy, isn't it? Oh. Beautiful. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It is 10.25 and I'm pleased to say I'm uh, joined on the panel this morning by James Regan and Mark Hinton. And uh, Mark Hinton, welcome home. Last time we spoke to you, it was almost the middle of the night in South Africa on a couple of occasions. Well, the All Blacks turned around and uh, put on a, a performance uh, that they really needed to do, which uh, answered a few questions. And in the end, uh, we can start focusing, Mark, I guess, on a test match rather than a coaching setup. Absolutely, Smithy. Look, I... You know, I think regardless of where you sit on the uh, coaching debate, uh, it is time for us all to move on. Um, New Zealand rugby, <laughs> in their wisdom, has finally done just that, albeit in a protracted and rather painful manner. Um, um, Ian Foster, you know, has been green-lighted through to the end of his contract, which is the uh, World Cup next year. So, yeah, I, I really think we all need to move on. He's the man that's going to be coaching this team Um I think we need to put this whole thing to bed and we need to concentrate on, you know, on the team, um, what they're doing, I guess, and, and just wondering whether they can build on that extremely positive display at Alice Park. Look, I, you know, I spoke to Artie Severe after the game and I asked him if it was a turning point and he sort of looked me in the eyes and he said, it's not a turning point, Mark, it's a starting point. And that... that that sort of attitude is really what we want to see. So hopefully now everything's been settled, the off-the-field stuff is, has been kind of um, uh, set in stone, shall we say. Um, this team can move forward and concentrate on, on getting better because they clearly need to. James Regan is uh, with us this morning as well. James, good morning to you. Joe Smith comes into the mix a little bit more hands-on than perhaps uh, even he would have wanted to uh, about uh, two or three weeks ago. So uh, where do you see him fitting in? Uh, alongside or just under uh, Ian Foster? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, Mark. Um, first of all, it's so exciting that uh, that some kind of change has come and that Joe Schmidt is being used, um, hopefully, in, in his fullest capacity. It's certainly, um, you know, he had his own personal circumstances and reasons for maybe wanting to ease into things um, this year, but the fact that they've now bit the bullet and, and kind of made the change or some kind of change that was clearly needed, some fresh ideas and a fresh approach and, and some, you know, another couple of people to challenge the players um, must be a massive relief for all. And, and as Mark said, just to get some kind of certainty now through to the next World Cup is huge, but can't wait to see what Joe Schmidt does and how much of a role he does play. He, he has to play a big part, surely. As I say, they have to to use him to the full potential given his experience and, and his obvious rugby brain. So 
maybe he uh, he got a bit of a taste to the, to the Blues and, and coming into the All Blacks environment and just couldn't turn it down. Um, but hopefully, yeah, they can they can use him to the best of his ability. So, James, what are you expecting uh, when they name their side? Generally, around about uh, five thirty or five midday on a, a Thursday. Um, so, what what are you expecting from the All Blacks? Pretty much status quo from that winning combo. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I'd say they want to stick with as much um, consistency as they can. They they are obviously battling a few injuries around the place as well. So, I'd say any kind of consistency they can get, and especially this first test or this test at home, and and wanting to really hit the ground running with that, and and I'd say they want to make a statement as well. Argentina are certainly no pushovers. We know that, but this is a team that that needs to have confidence coming back off the off the back of a huge win at Ellis Park, and they will want to make a statement like the All Blacks can. You'd never, ever, ever doubt the All Blacks and, and the way they can respond. So I'd say from um, from a personnel point of view, it worked well at Ellis Park, so why not keep it the same? Would it, would it worry you um, at all, the fact that uh, it's not a sellout yet? And at Christchurch, uh, they're pretty devoid of, of Test Rugby, to be fair, because of the stadium and the the capacity, etc. But would it would it worry you if you're on the rugby union and it's not sold out? I'd say it would certainly be a bit of a worry, but that would probably be the people at Christchurch fighting with their feet that they're sick of um, watching rugby and and a and a pile of scaffolding. So it would be a big statement from them towards um, you know the Christchurch City Council. But for New Zealand rugby, it's, it's maybe beyond their control. They've, they've got to give Christchurch some love um, after everything they've been through and this, this test is a great way to do that. So it would be a bit of a concern. It would be a shame as well if this team wasn't welcomed back considering what they did do at Ellis Park. If they weren't welcomed back by, by a strong crowd, I'm sure they'll turn up at the end of the day. But um, yeah, that would probably say more about the way Christchurch uh, is going at the moment rather than the All Blacks. Okay, it's uh, 10.30 here on... SENZ, uh, we've got James Regan and DeMarc Hinton with us on the panel this morning. Uh, when we come back, uh, two or three more issues to talk about. In the meantime, we'll have a news break with Araha. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. James Regan with us this morning, as is uh, Mark Hinton. And uh, Mark, um, just talking to James before the break about the fact that uh, this test match is not sold out. They take the Argentinian test matches to smaller grounds in the, in the hope that they do. So Christchurch and then Hamilton, of course. Uh, but you would expect them to sell out. I mean, it's the All Blacks after all, isn't it? Absolutely. Look, that's a surprise. Um, perhaps it's indicative of where the public sit with this team at the moment. But... Um, you know, you would like to think New Zealanders will get behind this. But look, that that performance at Alice Park has dripped with character. I mean, it wasn't a perfect display from the All Blacks by any means, but because it was it was a good win, and and they showed a lot of heart and a lot of grit and all those sort of things fans want to see from their team. So that, yeah, perhaps um, there's some initial reluctance, but you would like to think that those stands will be full come. Saturday night, I know that ground is not the best to watch rugby in in, in wintry conditions and and, and again, perhaps that's um, uh, got something to do with that equation, Smithy, but Jeepers, you know, the All Blacks, um, you know, the public demanded they show something. Um, The All Blacks did show something at Alice Park. Um, So so the public need to to keep their end of the bargain up. Look, get them behind this team, man. It's an important game, Smithy. You know, I I just can't help but think that... um, 
that we need to see more from these All Blacks and, and they need to start getting some momentum and, and, and these shifts that Foster's talking about that he's seeing on the training field. We need to see them even continue um, on the playing field. So it, it, it feels to me like a pivotal couple of weeks for this team and um, the public deserve to, um, well, the public should get behind it, behind them as they make this statement they need to make. Mark, uh, talk about pivotal. It's a pivotal time for the Black Ferns as well, of course. And last weekend, um, uh, they've continued this unbeaten streak under uh, uh, Wayne Smith with a drubbing, and it was an absolute drubbing of the Wallaroos, who they play first up in the World Cup, as well as, again, this Saturday, I think, at uh, the Adelaide Oval. Um, uh, are we now brimming with confidence, or are we still waiting for England and France to work that out? Still waiting, Smithy, still waiting. Look, you can't read too much into um, uh, big wins over Australia and women's uh, rugby. They've happened in the past and they will continue to happen. New Zealand sort of op- uh, operating on another level to the Australians in terms of the women's game at the moment. Um, look, it's encouraging and you can only beat who's in front of you. Um, and it would appear that Wayne Smith um, has brought, you know, his <laughs> the, the quality that we all know he possesses in terms of his ability to get the best out of players. So it's extremely positive that the spectre of England and France still hangs over this team and won't go away until they actually have to run out on the field and face them, which won't be to the business end of the World Cup, sadly. Um, it feels like they need a couple of hard games um, going into the global event, but they're not going to get them. Let's not forget, look, last year, last November as recently, those, they lost They lost all those matches to England and France and they were decisive defeats. They caused a lot of um, fallout in the Black Ferns. Mm. Until they go out and play those same foes and show that they've made all those major adjustments, that spectre hangs over them. OK, let's uh, change the subject if we can, uh, James, please, and go to rugby league. Now... Uh, you know, I, I can tolerate a side that's uh, outclassed uh, on a, a, a weekly basis because they just haven't got the players uh, or the skill factor to compete. Uh, I can I can almost handle that. But when you read uh, stories from two coaches now this season saying they're disappointed in their attitude, they don't appear to want to try, uh, I'm not sure I, I can tolerate that, to be fair, amongst a professional outlet. So... Um, can the Warriors' attitude be fixed? I mean, you know, one more game in this season, probably lose... Uh, they'll have a break. They'll get back to pre-season. But if the same attitude prevails with the new coaching setup, what what can we expect? I mean, how are they going to change the attitude and the desire to play the damn game? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and the fact that it's come up, as you say, throughout the season, um, and they have had some encouraging performances, but they've kind of reverted to type pretty quickly after those. Um, and it is, you know not my words, nor your words, but the coach's words, through a lack of attitude and effort, which is a massive concern. Um, and so a new coach will come in, and I, I don't believe that any NRL player goes out there and, and doesn't want to win or doesn't want to try. But it's clearly just not enough, is it, when you get thanked by 40 points more than once throughout a season. The attitude and the effort, if you're putting in, is clearly not enough. So Andrew Webster going in there next year, he's got to get control of this team and the club. There, there are clearly things going on behind the scenes and, and everything has been disrupted by COVID, but there are clearly things going on that aren't allowing this team to perform at its absolute best. And that, that comes from the top, 
and it extends down and it goes through the players and it goes through the coaching group. But you can't argue with the fact of where they are. They've probably gone backwards this season as well when there was really no excuse to go backwards at all. They should have progressed a lot more than they have, which is probably not a lot at all when you look at the stats, if you look at how they've played. They've been turned over God knows how many times um, this year. And for, for someone like Stacey Jones and the manner he has and the legend he is, for him to come out and say more than once that it's not good enough, if you can't get yourself up for him as a player, then you can't get yourself up for anyone. Um, and that's probably the biggest concern is that there's no, there's no players coming in who are really going to grab this team by the scrap of the neck and take them with them. Andrew Webster's a rookie coach who, who, you know, you've got to give him the benefit of the doubt and will probably do a decent job. But if you can't get yourself up for a game for Stacey Jones, then, then you need to have a good look at yourself, to be honest. Oh, I totally agree. Absolutely. I mean, it, to me, it's, it's gutting, Mark Hinton. Now, this is a side that is, you know, uh, it's almost like there are a bunch of little kids who um, shitty that their toy's been taken off them or whatever. But what they should remember is this, is that every time they run out, they have a huge level of support at home. You know, um, th- they are an adored team, an adored club, loved by many people um, who are faithful to them. But they just don't seem to want to respect that. No, it's disappointing, Smithy. And, you know, um, you can't help but think this club needs a reset. And they will have one in the off-season. Like they've had uh, a couple of tough years on the road. That's one thing we can't underestimate. And, and it's possibly... Um, played a part in this kind of mental, um, these mental shortcomings, basically, that the players have. Look, they're just not getting up for games now. They're done, their season's done, and they're mailing it in. And there's nothing worse than sport. As you say, it's professional sport. They're getting, it's a privileged position they hold. They're getting paid to do what they do. And as you say, they have a legion of fans that really, um, you know, that, that, that really support them through, through thin and thin, to be honest. You know, not a lot of things mm. of late has there been. So um, um, they, they do need to measure up, but they need a reset in the off-season or give them that. The one thing I will say, Smithy, is um, we can't underestimate how hard that's been, this continuous kind of road um, situation they've been embroiled in. I'm talking to the guys at the Breakers who I'm closer to than the Warriors, and um, there were serious um, mental issues with what they have gone through in the last two years. Some players needed counselling. Some players needed help. Um, just getting, you know, just kind of coming out the other side of it. Um, it's been tough, look. But it, uh, you know, sports full of excuses, and, and and winning outfits tend to put those excuses to the side, don't they? And and, and just um, find a way to plough through it. The Warriors have to do that. They have to put these last two years in, behind them. And I, can, I, I really can only see that happening is if they have this kind of a reset where, you know, everything's left behind and, 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 and it's kind of a start again type thing. They just can't come out and be the same old Warriors next year um, um, when things will be on a much more even playing field. So something has to change and let's hope Andrew Webster can, uh, can mastermind it. My God, let's hope so. Um, really do. And uh, Stacey Jones must uh, at some point be thinking, uh, is it me? Uh, uh, is it me? Am I, am I not I'm, I'm not good enough? Or You know, I mean, that you look at yourself as a coach when people don't want to play for you and you think, good God. Um, fortunately, Gary Stead hasn't got that uh, issue, James, at the moment. Uh, last two white ball World Cups we've been in, we've been in the final. Um, we're tracking pretty well this time around. I, I quite liked, actually, um, the look of... Um, 
of the T20 side in particular uh, to be perfect. I quite like the balance there, James. Yeah, yeah, it's looking pretty good, isn't it? And, you know, you, you have to preference it by saying the T20 games, particularly against maybe Scotland and Ireland, weren't the, the toughest preparation. But, as you say, you can only play what's in front of you. And um, what what gives encouragement, I guess, is probably the nucleus of the team that have been so successful over the past few years, making those finals, is still there and is still performing at a really good level. So, um that, that can only give you confidence. Gary said is clearly doing an amazing job with them and under, you know, it's been trying circumstances for them over the past couple of years as well, having to tour and, and try and get games for COVID. So they're looking really good and I, I don't think Black Caps fans should have any concerns that they're going to give it a, a really good go over the next two tournaments as well. Yeah, I, I like what, what I'm seeing, uh, Mark Hinton. I, I like Finn Allen and I, I really do like in T20 cricket, Devin Conway at the top of the order. Yes, absolutely. Look, there's a nice balance to this group. I think, uh, I don't know if you agree, but I think they, they just may be a one-spin bowling option short um, um, in terms of, you know, I know they've got a study there, but they seem uh, unwilling to play him. Um, but otherwise, yeah, Finn Allen's been a great addition. I like what Daryl Mitchell's doing now. He's maturing, you know, coming of age before our eyes, isn't he, as a really important middle order batsman and you know a guy that chips in you know in other areas as well um a lot of a lot a lot to be positive about look it's the west indies they're not the force they used to be but to, to win a couple of series there um it's, it's a good confidence builder look that uh for now and as you mentioned smithy has been a, a revelation devin conway you, you know is only going to you know become more and more important i think as he kind of um as, as he sort of figures things out at this high level um so, yeah, a lot to be positive about. I, I just think maybe the bowling options are, are where um, we rely a lot still on um, Trent Bolt and um, Tim Southey, don't we? Um, wonderful performance still in the golden sort of period of their careers. Um, um, but the bowling um, sort of balance and maybe just one more spin bowler, one more sort of maybe mm. all-rounder as well. With Jimmy, is Jimmy Nisham the answer still? Um, is there someone more qualified there? So an all-rounder, maybe a spin option, uh, short of being a very, very good team that will continue to contend for titles. Yep, I think you're right. Uh, James Regan and uh, Mark Anton have been our panellists this morning. We thank you very much, gentlemen. Another panel, same time. Tomorrow morning, it's 10.44. It is uh, 10.49 here on uh, SCNZ. Uh, let's catch up with uh, Louis Herman Watt uh, as we look back and look forward a little bit. Gee, Animo was impressive in the wing stakes as uh, the big boys and girls came out to play, Louis. Really, he was incredible. He really was. Um, look, it's not that I wasn't an animo believer. I just, just didn't probably give him the respect he deserves because he won there like he looked like he's going to go on to become an elite horse. And I just want to say that Godolphin and, and their stallion rosters waiting for him there, to, to them to keep him in training because they know they can win a cox plate with this horse. Congratulations. We don't see it enough, I don't think, but I also understand the monetary value attached to these cults as they are, usually. Um, so I kind of get it. But just to see him and the way he accelerated well, maybe the worst part of the track, and he, he, he jumped, he came out of the barriers, he did everything that we didn't think he would fresh up, and James McDonald said he's even as straight as a bullet, and just so professional. He's a proper racehorse now, so he rated about 102 and a half, I think. 
Now, that's his best uh, fresh-up rating quite easily, which tells you that if they can keep him sound, and he's, he is a sound horse, if they can get uh, a little bit of luck, because he's always need a bit of luck in spring, I just think he's going to be so hard to stop in the Cox Plate this year. I, look, I know Zaki's waiting. There's maybe I'm Thunderstruck is there as well. But for me, and listening to what James McDonald had to say about Animo, he could just be a bit above the rest at the spring. The, the wild card, I guess, um, Profondo, who, well, he's not so much of a wild card now, but in his fifth start, he lined up in that wink stakes field as an inexperienced horse, sat three wide and still galloped on. So he had a huge run. And this weekend, Smithy, Menzies Stakes, a horse mm. by the name of Elation, has got a massive spruik on it. They reckon it's one of the better moving horses I've seen in a long time. Yeah, for the Mick Price and um, Kent Stable. So Elation is going to be in the looking really good this weekend in the Memzi. And I just can't wait to see another talented horse back. It's springtime, Smithy, and the nice ones are at the races. They are indeed, uh, which means tomorrow we shall be talking to you about uh, racing at Taupo. I suppose it'll be a little bit soft there on uh, the Taupo track. It tends to drain uh, quite well over there with that porousy soil. But uh, Taupo we'll talk about tomorrow, Louis, and uh, also uh, a little matter of the Foxbridge Plate coming up this weekend as well. So uh, we'll catch up tomorrow. Thanks for your time. Awesome stuff, Smithy. Big day at Taupo. You're right tomorrow. Nice ones are back there as well. Yeah, some good fields uh, and uh, solid fields as well as, as uh, I just had a look at them there. Uh, look, uh, we'll take a, a very quick break and when we come back we'll ch uh, chat to uh, Pip Morris on behalf of the TAB. Uh, there are Greyhound races today, a couple of meetings and of course some sports options as well. It is 10.58 here on SCNZ as we are uh, joined now by uh, Pip Morris uh, on behalf of the TAB and uh, Pip, a couple of Greyhound meetings today at Addington and Invercargill and a few sports options. Good morning, Smithy. It certainly is. Don't mind one at Invercargill either in race number three down near Verdon Vale for Daniel Roberts. I think it looks the winner. has had a look at the track and he was a bit unlucky on that occasion. He's at around $2.10. As far as the sports betting goes, just early, of course, we're only two rounds away from finals footy in the NRL. And I can tell you for the outright winner of the Premiership, Penrith Panthers are the best backed at $2.00 closely followed by Melbourne Storm at $4 after their significant win over the weekend. And the Sydney Roosters are not far off either, Smithy, at $10. The way that they're playing, they certainly look like they're contenders to take out the grand final. And just quickly on the rugby union side of things, Argentina's the best back so far against the All Blacks, despite their win at $7, taking 69% of the bet so far, Smithy. And just quickly, too, there is that bonus back around that game, winning team in margin market. New Zealand are 1-12, a 320. 13 or more at $1.45 in Argentina. The outsiders at $9. You can back either team to win, and if you get the incorrect margin, you can get that bonus back. Wow, Argentina, uh, more favourite in terms of the weight of the money. That's uh, interesting. I quite like the point start, Pip, at 22.5. I think their forward effort will be quite strong in that first test on the back of what they did to Australia. But uh, thank you very much, Pip. You have a great day. Thank you. You too, Smithy. See you later. Cheers, uh, Pip Morris will be back with us tomorrow as well. Uh, around this time, as we look forward to greyhounds and sport options, every time uh, at this time here on SCNZ. Right, uh, normally we have Vossie on a Monday after 11. We've got Vossie on a Tuesday because we had the cricket yesterday. Andrew Voss next on the NRL.
Well, it's a bit of music there with a little bit of attitude, isn't there? And uh, that's uh, one I want to talk to uh, with our next uh, next guest, of course, uh, Andrew Voss, who normally Vossy joins us on a Monday after 11 o'clock. He's good enough to uh, wait a day while we mopped up the West Indies yesterday. Vossy, uh, thank you very much for your time. And the, the key for me is attitude. Uh, for the second time in a sh- very short space of time of being the Warriors' temporary head coach, Stacey Jones has bemoaned their desire to play and their attitude. Can't tolerate that, I'm sorry, and he shouldn't have to either. Yeah, look, the the 48-4 result, um, one of many over the weekend that's left us all questioning, you know, almost what's the, what's the point for some teams the last two weeks? You would hope for better. Um, as, as poor as the Warriors were, they certainly weren't the worst from the weekend. I mean, I, I know the Tigers got done by 70, and that's an extraordinary scoreline, you know, 72-6 to six against the Roosters. But I, I honestly thought, and I called the game, I, I thought Manly's performance at home was the worst. Um, and, and that's also when you got the Broncos losing 60-12 to 12 to the Melbourne Storm. But I just thought Manly playing their last home game for the year, they were farewelling some stalwarts players like Kieran Foran playing his last game at Brookvale. Um, and they trailed 40 nil with four minutes to go, didn't look like scoring, and then got an intercept. I actually thought that was the, the worst performance of the weekend, um, and I, I know I have grave fears for some of these sides the last two weeks if they're running into sides with, you know, finals inspiration and motivation. Um, look out. Uh, the big scores from the weekend just gone by uh, might be a feature of the next fortnight. Well, Kevin Walters probably would be the most worried of those coaches uh, because, of course, he still has a, a decent old shot at it. Uh, he's got the Eels this weekend, and how unpredictable are they? So uh, he won't want to see a repeat of that. Oh, no. Well, Brisbane's gone right off the ball, Smitty. Um, and, and look, I, I work with Corey Parker, who is an absolute Broncos legend, 347 games for the Broncos. Now, I had a chat with him a month ago. And Corey was saying he questioned, and at that stage, Broncos were still flying high, but he questioned attitude of the players. He thought that perhaps they were, you know, living the good life a little more and weren't knuckling down for what was ahead, you know. And and basically, Corey, speaking wise words, they've won nothing. You know, at that stage of the season, sure, you're going great, you're in the top four, but you've won nothing, you know, unless you actually get there and finish it off. Now, history tells us that at the... You know, at the really good clubs that are used to success, often senior players the squad together late in the year and said, right, knuckle down, boys. No more nights out. You know, it's all about training. It's all about the football side. They often, you know, if they drink, they, they go off the drink. They do, they do whatever they can to absolutely focus on the end prize. Now, you would say that probably hasn't happened in Brisbane. And uh, when you can't just rest on your laurels, you've even got to work harder. Um, Brisbane have gone south. And I, and I don't know how Kevy turns that around in the last couple of weeks. Thursday night, massive game against Parramatta. Because Parramatta are hot and cold. When they have a good performance, they often follow it with a bad one. So, yeah, they might, um, they might fall in the heat. But, but Brisbane just have to aim up. Brisbane could miss the eight, Smithy. You do know that. With Canberra, mm. with their draw coming at them, Canberra will be favourites to win their last two matches. They could, um, they could go past the Broncos. Well, that was an interesting game. I was actually driving back um, from uh, a game of rugby I was doing, so I was listening to it on the radio here on SNZ, actually. Um, and uh, so I couldn't see it, but uh, it was an incredible game of rugby league because uh, what the Raiders were behind 22-8 uh, at the break and uh, then uh, turned around and scored an incredible victory with, uh, without conceding a point in the second half. What, what did Ricky Stewart say there then? 
Yeah, well, you sort of wonder what did Newcastle say at halftime because Newcastle went to mm. halftime absolutely top of the world. They scored right in halftime. I called the game. Jaden Braley goes over. Their fifth try of the half. This is a side that's had a wretched season, has averaged only 14 points a game, and there they are against Canberra putting on 22 points. If they had a you know, goal kicker, Anthony Milford kicked well, they could have been leading, you know, had 30 on the board by halftime against the Raiders. And then, I mean, within minutes of the second half, getting underway. Canberra was right back in it. Newcastle committed every mistake possible and intensity dropped and and Canberra just got on a roll and ended up um, a, a 20 nil second half. So you know, there is the there is the classic example of side with something to play for as opposed to team just playing to, you know, for pride sort of thing. The greater motivation, Raiders rode hard to the line. Ricky relieved he look, going into the game, to be fair he probably thought today's a day that we're going to get a good boost to our for and against. In the end, he was just happy to take the two competition points. But mm. the Raiders have the worst for and against than any of the teams in the top eight. So, you know, they, they need the Broncos to falter. Canberra could win their last two games and still not make the eight because of their poor for and against. So unless they come up with some landslide victories, and that could happen. You know, they play Manly this week. Um, you know, they might get up, you know, potentially a plus 20, a plus 30, plus 40 to their points differential if Manly don't name up. So it's a bit to be decided over the, the last couple of weeks, and it's not just about winning and losing. It's about the size of uh, victory or defeat. Okay, so uh, if we look at uh, the Roosters and you talk about points for and against, they got a hell of a bump uh, at the weekend, 72-6 over the West Tigers. Yeah, they, they look good too. Look, they... Uh, I know they're... Yeah, again, here's the situation with the Roosters. Look, if the Roosters suddenly lost their last two, they could mix the eight. Now, that, that's a fact of the matter. They're sitting sixth, but on 28 points, you know, they, they, they've got a couple of hard games. They play Melbourne and South. But all I can say to you is what I'm watching of the Roosters, they look every bit of top four side. <clears throat> so they're not going to finish top four, but they look it. Tedesco, Kiri, Manu, um, Jared Waduya Hargreaves, um, Matt Lodge has been, you know, is playing well for them. They get... CSC Waitokiaho back this week, more than likely. Lindsay Collins is due back as well. So, um, no, they've, they've come good at the right end of the season. And Sam Walker, um, the young halfback, much improved goal kicker, Smithy. And, that, and that's an important element uh, as you get down to the close matches. He's obviously worked hard, and he's a far better goal kicker now than he was 12 months ago. And, and the 12 goals against the Tigers sort of a testament to that. So they tick a lot of boxes, the Roosters, at the moment. It's just whether they can keep accumulating the competition points. I think it's the biggest game of the weekend. Um, Storm and uh, and Melbourne. Uh, Storm and the Roosters, rather, is the biggest mm. game of the weekend, and I give the Roosters an enormous chance. OK, well, you, you admitted that uh, you thought the Seagulls were uh, the poorest team at the weekend, and um, but that, does that make the Sharks uh, the best team at the weekend, or does that make the Sharks genuine contenders for you now? Oh, they're a professional side, the Sharks, and... and you know, had players out as well. So um, Cronulla on the weekend, you know, no um, Will Kennedy playing in the side. Um, you know, at fullback, a couple of key positions, the likes of uh, Toby Rudolph out of play. Um, you know, I, I just like the way Cronulla have built through the season. Definite contender. Are they up to Penrith class? Well, the thing is, Cronulla are still improving. You know, and, they, and they've got the points on the board. They're going to get to the finals. They've got some of those experienced hard heads. Their, their side, in some ways, does resemble their grand final winning team, you know, where they had the likes of a Paul Gallen and Michael Ennis and Luke Lewis, you know, blokes that had been around the block. They've now got 
Wade Graham is now a more experienced player. Dale Finucane in the mix. And Nico Hines has just been superb for them at halfback. I mean, he has just been buy-of-the-year stuff. Nico Hines for Cronulla. So, no, I like them. They're a genuine contender, Smithy. Um, genuine contender and more than likely will win their last two games to go into the finals. OK, let's look at um, uh, the other key matches this weekend. Uh, well, the Sharks will play the Bulldogs. You'd imagine they'll win that. Uh, Rabbitohs-Cowboys is an interesting one. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, Cowboys, uh, if there is any question mark on them, not um, incredibly consistent form on the road. I mean, they've had some decent wins, but would like a few more. Uh, bounce back, because they've had a relatively soft draw, so to see them uh, win in the manner they did uh, last weekend against the Warriors, at least they, they got the job done. They've had the events of the tragic death of Paul Green recently to contend with, so you're not really sure about... Um, the, the, the mental um, aspect of their play in regard to that. But now they have a big scout to confront. You know, they, they didn't play well against the Roosters two weeks ago, but that was days after the death of Paul Green. So, you know, you're prepared to, to overlook that. But, but now they come up against the Rabideau side that has to be desperate. Um, you know, sitting on 28 competition points, Latrell Mitchell, Cody Walker there. Um, there'll be some, you know, serious attacks thrown at the Cowboys' defence, which statistically has been fantastic all year. Is it now going to hold up at the pointy end of the season? We find out. It's a big game. As I said, three big matches, really. They're, they're the standouts. Thursday night, Parramatta-Brisbane is huge. It's huge. And Rabbitohs-Cowboys is huge. There's, there's three blockbusters. There's sort of three semi-finals two weeks early, Smitty. Okay, Vossi, I've got a text, uh, Justin. Can you please ask Vossi, what does Jason Demetrio do with Jackson Paulo this week after his poor performances and with uh, Isaac Thompson coming through putting pressure on him? Yeah, well, that's an interesting one. It's a sort of discussion we've been having here. See, Jackson Barlow was beyond the pale what happened to him after the game. There were death threats from people that gamble on football and all this sort of thing. Well, that's totally not on. But there were also people... I mean, I was in Thomas with Michael Ennis, and we had a bit of fun with it. Look, I, I used the quote, he's got hands like dolphin slippers. Now, mm. he, he, was, he, you know, he dropped some key balls the other night, and then people sort of say, oh, well, you know, you're, not, you're, you're too hard on him, the mental health and all of that. Well, hang on a second, this is football. You still can be allowed to criticise poor performances. And that was a poor performance by Jackson. So the, the proof will be in the pudding. I mean, South have to make a football decision here. Do they play? Um, Thompson had come in a couple of games, looked really strong. Um, does Barlow lose his spot two weeks out from the finals? Well, I, I think he'll still be in there 22 but he mightn't be in there starting 13. That's probably sitting on the fence a little. Um, Smith, player who was part of their grand final run last year, you'd like to think that he could bring that experience to the table. But it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good performance, and you know some key errors in a match that they had to win. James Tummo and his expletive at the referee. What will come of this? <laughs> Well, they're looking for a downgrade on the charge. I don't think they're going to have any luck. Uh, now, this is, this is not personal about James Tamo. And uh, Phil Gould uh, was, was a high-profile person who was quoted as saying, well, look, they should look at his record. It's out of character, blah, blah, blah. But I say no. I, I don't think there can be downgrades in the instance of abuse of our officials. Whether it's out of character, whether the blokes had no bans in 300 games, whatever, I just think the rule has to be so strong, or the penalty has to be consistent across the board. So whether you're a first gamer or a 300 gamer, the punishment has to be the same if you abuse an official. 
I know James was very genuine, his apology post-game, and it was impressive. He did own it. He was genuinely remorseful. But when he said, I, I did have to laugh when he said it wasn't directed at him. Well, hang on, hang on a sec, James. There is only one referee out there, and you <laughs> looked him in the eye and referred to him as a, use the F word, incompetent. Yeah. Um, then, you know, we have to take action on that. I say no downgrade. Sorry, James, you'll have to copy your, copy your penalty here. Okay, interesting. Uh, someone also just texted in and said, uh, just remind um, Bossy as well that Matt Lodge has now been on the receiving end of two 70-point drubbings this season. <laughs> yeah, what about, what about his try scoring form? Where's that come from? He scored back-to-back. Yeah. Um, and and he got the last try the other night. So, you know, they do have those uh, betting markets. Of course, gamble responsibly, but you can back last try. Mm. Who's taking, if you got Matt Lodge for last try, you've made a mistake. I don't know what price he was, but he's, he's done it. In the previous week, he's an anytime try scorer. His entire front row scored the previous week. So Matt Lodge in form as a try scorer. But that's a pretty fair front row rotation now. Tokiaho Collins, state of origin player, international with Waria Hargreaves and, and Lodge. So out of those four front rowers, um, that's pretty strong going into the final. Right. Now, uh, we really haven't talked uh, much about them, but uh, the Panthers getting home against the Rabbitohs at the weekend. Do you think, you know, having gone through that little bit of a slump, that uh, without Cleary-type slump, that they've just started to turn the corner? I mean, you, you can't be at the, the, that level for 27, 28 games of rugby league in a row. So you think they might have just timed it nicely here or be timing it nicely? Well, certainly wrapping up the minor premiership two weeks in advance of the finals, great achievement by them. Um, you know, six points... Clear at the top of the ladder. Um, outstanding achievement by Ivan Cleary's team that at this end of the season, they are playing without Nathan Cleary, without Jerome Luai. Um, the previous week, they didn't have Dylan Edwards, James Smith-Harris has been on the suspended list. So Penrith are a, a, in springtime is known for its racing, Smithy, and of course we lead up to the Melbourne Cup mm. and that. Uh, they are a, a champion galloper that has been, I believe, prepared to perfection in this competition, albeit with a few setbacks, the fact that they're still accumulated points. Yes, they've suffered a couple, couple of losses along the way, but the competition, I still stand by, the competition is theirs to lose. I think Penrith play at their best. They win the competition. To play at their best, they do need all those players back. Cleary will come back fit as a fiddle. And Luai, I'm, you know, I'm thinking he, he bounces back quickly to form. So Penrith, you know, back-to-back titles certainly is there for the taking for them. And I always have a saying, Smithy, and it doesn't always work out this way. There's been some, you know, notable minor premiers that haven't reached the grand final. But I always like the fact if the, if the minor premier can make mm-hmm. the grand final. I think they've done enough across, you know, 25 weeks. I like to see the minor premier in the grand final. So, um, you know, let's see if that's the way it unfolds for Penrith. They still have to win two games in the final series to do that. But I think they are the team to be feared most. Uh, Bossy, uh, you're a very popular man. The texts keep coming. Smith, can you ask Bossy, do you think the Bulldogs will be better next year with their new significant signings? That's from Kerry from Wanganui. <laughs> well, look, they've been, a, they've been a little better this year on the back of who they signed. But the quality of cattle in key positions, um, not that Jeremy Marshall King has had a bad year, but Reid Marnie... Uh, he's a player still on the improve. Reed Marnie will make a difference. Reed Marnie has that, uh, yeah, has multiple strings to his bow. He's a pretty good kicker in general play as well. So Reed Marnie's going to be a positive influence. 
Viliami kick out on a left edge. Now picture this: if they see Matt Burton is under contract for next year, so just picture their left edge can have Burton kick out, and at the end of the back line on the left side is Addo Carr. That's pretty good, pretty good, Smithy. So there, mm. there's a attacking dynamic for the Bulldogs next year. Um, Ryan Sutton also going to them from the Canberra Raiders. For one or two others, um, I still I still don't know around halfback Kyle Flanagan there. I still don't know about fullback Jake Avarillo's gone okay. So there's two positions. I if I was if I was to try and lock in a prediction this far out, Smithy, I, I certainly don't have them as specials for the top eight um, or for the finals. But I think they'll be thereabouts. I think they'll they'll improve again on what they've done this year. Will that be enough? points to get them in the um, in the finals remains to be seen. So on the way up and going to be a little better with what they've got. Yes, I agree. Bossy, every uh, Tuesday we have this thing called Mount Rushmore where we uh, I, uh, try to put forward four different answers to, or to different categories. The category this week is officials um, or referees or umpires over the years that have uh, really stood out by a poor performance or really got up your nose as such. And people text them with their answers. Um, so I just want, from your point of view, which of your Australian cricket umpires would fit into that category the most? Ooh, cricket umpire, as what, having a shocker getting up the nose? I mean, was it... Um, yeah, that, uh, was it, that uh, and that. Yeah, that and that. Gee, uh, am I, have, I got, um, have I got legal immunity here? Have I got... Yeah. Yeah. anyone? I mean... Wow, what a what a one to ask. There we go. Um, well, look. So, so was was Daryl here the umpire the, the the famous day with the Sri Lankans with um, that's right with Daryl here. Was, was he? Yeah, was he the umpire yeah. there? I well, see. I'm going the positive with him. I'm going to say he had yeah. the gumption to do what he did. So you know whether right or wrong, um, the fact that he did it, gee, it was inflammatory. Remember, it was Stuart Mendes wasn't it? came down to the fence and he wanted the players to come off the field and. So I'm going to put Daryl Hare in there as a controversy, good or bad, but I'm going to say at least he had the gumption to make a massive call, uh, which is going back a number of years. But there you go. I'll throw Daryl Hare's uh, name into the mix there. Well, he won't make my list of worst ones because I totally agree with you. I totally concur. I think uh, he was exactly right in what he did. Uh, what it did was it changed the art of, uh, of spin bowling uh, because he was allowed to do what he was allowed to do. Honey, now uh, yeah. you never hear too much. You never hear too much about uh, Matai Muralitharan yeah, anymore these days. But uh, he'll always be top of the tree because no one will ever get the wickets that he got. Vossi, thank you very much for your time Good this your morning. Um, very and we'll catch up with you next Monday. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Andrew Voss there, of course, uh, and uh, fantastic with his uh, views. There, terrific caller. Gosh, he's a great caller of rugby league. Uh, it's eleven twenty-two here. Back shortly. It's 11.28 here on Mornings with Ian Smith and Smithy. I just thought I'd, I'd jump in because I, I don't know if you've, you've heard this, but uh, post-match yesterday, the third ODI of the series against the Windies, uh, possibly the worst interview I have heard on an international broadcast of a player of the match. Uh, I'd, I'd just like you to have a listen to this. Jimmy Neesham being interviewed post-match and get your reaction. If this was you, you just won man of the match and this is the question you get asked. What about Jimmy Nisham? Uh, never, never performed as probably as well as can be expected tonight. People say he's a, he could be an underperformer, but um, but you deliver do you do deliver at the appropriate time, don't you? Um, 
yeah, I'm not sure the numbers would say that, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, look, it's it's part and part and parcel of being an all rounder in that. Right. Um, I suppose late stage of the innings, you, you bowl the tougher overs and you, you come in and bat in the tough times. So yeah, there's going to be a fair bit of failure here and there. Mm. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say I've underperformed. I'd say you know there's been a few big moments, and mm. and, the, and the bigger the moment gets, the the more likely I am to turn up as well. Smithy. <laughs> Yeah, interesting that. Uh, Jimmy Neeson's a very clever boy. Uh, you know, sometimes he's too clever, but he is very clever. So um, it was good that uh, he was on the end of that because he's fairly sharp-witted and he can think very quickly on his feet. So, yeah, you, you don't. those are the kind of questions that hit you right between the eyes because, you you know, you've seen a, a thousand post-match uh, presentations and interviews with man of the match and usually or, or um, women of the, of the, of the match. You, Generally, they're pretty positive. I mean, they're, they're leading. The questions that lead you into the, the performance you've, you've just done. I mean, because it's it's what you've been judged on for that particular event, uh, not your history. So, it's, uh, uh, and Jimmy's pretty cool. I, I look, I, and it's one of those things that you'd love to know that question was coming, so you'd have a really good reply up your sleeve. You'd, you'd probably like say, well, yeah, you know, um, played a hundred. The, the classic Mark Greatbatch uh, answer: played a hundred tests. Have you, mate? That was Paddy Great Matches. Whenever he got a little bit of criticism from some dude in the street or someone who, you know, wasn't qualified to criticise him, he would just say, played 100 tests, mate, have you? And uh, and move on from that, so walk away. So, you know, you'd wish you had that opportunity um, and just sort of say, hey, Jimmy Neesham, and you you are and you've been... Sorry, thank you very much. Uh, end of interview. So, I mean, hey, mate, it, it's 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 something you, you dread uh, as an interviewer when you're, you're doing post-match things because sometimes you have to ask relatively que- uh, dark questions about lack of performance when you're interviewing losing captains. And I think for 20 years I've been waiting for a losing captain to turn around to me and say, and you've played 100 all-black tests, have you, son? <laughs> so... <laughs> you and it's something you always dread. Anyway, um, yeah, good. Well done, Jimmy. Uh, handle it well. Uh, got a future in the media. There's no doubt about it, Jimmy Neesham. So and it's a curly one, no doubt about it. Uh, 11:31 here on SENZ. Slightly late heading into the news, and slightly late to, to tell you that uh, yes, there's $100 up for grabs now. Ricardo Ball will be the uh, the mastermind questionnaire today. It's time to stump Smithy. 0800 150 811. Uh, and when you get uh, through to us uh, this morning, make sure that you wish uh, Robbie a happy 23rd birthday. He'll be the guy answering the phones, okay? So make sure, and that might give you a chance to get up the, uh, the, the queue a wee bit. Robbie, happy birthday, mate. And uh, here they come. The lines are lighting up. It's time to stump Smithy, and it's also time for the news. It's Mornings with Smithy here on SENZ, and it is uh, time for Stumped with Smithy. And Hayden's on the line out of Palmy. G'day, Hayden. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Are you uh, you feeling primed? I am feeling primed, mate. It's it's, it's kind I'm of actually a... I'm actually from I'm actually from Taranaki, mate. <laughs> You're from the Naki. Oh, mate, how good was your one this weekend? Yeah. Oh, that yeah, was yeah, good, mate. Yeah. I was disappointed in those first couple of games, so I wasn't wasn't too bothered. But then they showed up in the third, didn't they? Forwards showed up. Yeah. You're right, Hayden. Actually, it was a hell of a good performance. Uh, the other thing that's just come to hand, um, although I had heard a rumour a little while ago, is no more Pukakura Park for cricket, mate. I, I, I just don't get that. No, I think because I've, I've played for Taranaki, I've played a few games there, and uh, I think it's 
the facilities they were they're saying the facilities done up to scratch in terms of the the changing rooms and the pavilion there. So I think they're looking to upgrade that through the council. Um, I don't think it was ever a pitch or a ground issue itself, was it? Well, I I, yeah, I mean, it was an interesting pitch from time to time, but, it, you, you know, if it was tough to bat on at times, that was made up for by the fact that if you got a bad one and you get, yeah, I mean, the boundaries went that far away, so it tended to even out. I mean, a lot of people would turn up there and say, God, we're going to make a 1,000 a day, and they'd get, get rolled for 160. And, you know, just, uh, I mean, it's a beautiful ground to play at, as you say. Aesthetically, you just don't get anything better than that. Uh, the people love it. The crowd love it. So um, why don't they just fix the facilities? Uh, I mean, you yeah. know, it's, yeah. what, are, what are they going to do with it? I mean, what are they going to use it for? Marching band well, practice that's, or what? That's, that's right. I think they've got to come up with, they've got to sort out somehow so they can still. I mean, Tacky will love it because you'll get a few more games here and they might play a bit more club cricket on there. That'll be good. Okay, so where else, do, where do Central Districts play then? If they don't play there? Oh, they go to, when they go to Palmy and then, the Napier and Nelson. they've got plenty of choice. So no, Tar- Taranaki's been a stronghold though for donkey's years. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I don't get it. Mm. I honestly don't get it. Nah. Council, get on the council. Isn't it local body election time? Get on the council and build some decent dressing rooms. Prop up the floorboard. Build, put a coffee shop in there. Uh, on the way through to the walk through to the you know the the beautiful botanic gardens and the wedding sites and Brooklyn's Bowl and things like that. Just. Huge some innovation, but don't squander one of history's great grounds. Please don't. Anyway, no, that's my I think, I think they'll sort they'll sort out they'll sort out some of them. It'll just take a few years. Yeah, we heard it here first. Yeah. Hayden for Mayor. Okay. Yeah, Hayden, Radio. Uh, what are the categories this morning? What uh, are the categories? Uh, so your categories, Hayden, your choice. You can either go cricket, tennis, or Richie McCaw. <laughs> oh. Okay, I'll go Richie McCaw. Richie McCaw. Oh, All right, here we go. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. $100 worth of TAB vouchers up for grabs. Hayden, here's your first question. Who did he make his all-black test debut against? I believe it was Ireland in 2001. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, nicely done, mate. Nicely done. A nice, easy one to get you off the off the mark. Here's question two: How many tries did he score in his 148 matches for the All Blacks? Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it's 27. That's not couple of chips down the wicket, yeah. right in the slot. Bang on! How did you know that, Hayden? Mate, I, I don't want to no, carry on. Third question. <laughs> oh, I'm just gonna say, sure we're not talking to Richie McCaw. Who else knows this stuff? <laughs> you know, of the 27 international tests tries he scored, 11 of them were against the Wallabies. Really? Yeah. Wow. He liked, yeah. He liked the Wallabies. Best yeah. 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 All right. Uh, third and final, mate. Hundred dollars worth of TAV vouchers up for grabs. Smithy hasn't even had to face one yet. Uh, Richie McCall was inducted into the World Rugby Hall of Fame in 2019 alongside Sir Graham Henry, Os Durant, and which former Manu Samoa captain? This isn't the Richie McCall question. <laughs> <laughs> it's Richie McCall adjacent. <laughs> okay. Um, former Samoan rugby captain. Yes. Um, 
Come on, mate. Peter, is it Peter oh. Fadialofa? Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in oh, the side. Oh, that's an absolute That's three from three. Well done, Hayden. Oh, that's unbelievable. That's Hayden. I, was, I, I, will say, I will say on that Richie, yeah. Richie McCaw stuff, I rang in a couple of weeks back on the Mastermind and had a go at Richie McCaw at his All Blacks career oh, with Staffy. Yeah. yeah. So I only got six okay. out of ten. They, they threw me some, some tough ones. But I did. that's why I had that try one in, in my mind. Well, you got three out of three this morning, Hayden, and we congratulate you for that. So uh, stay on the line, and birthday boy Robbie will get your details, and we'll get that. 100 bucks worth of uh, TAB product in your account as soon as we possibly can. Have a terrific day, mate. Thank you. Well done. Yeah, cheers, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Maybe you can uh, put the, that 100 bucks worth uh, of vouchers, turn it into cash, and then put it towards the Save Pukakura Park Fund. That would be nice. It's 11.40 here on SENZ, and when we come back, it'll be time for Mount Rushmore with uh, our four officials who we don't really like. Right, uh, let's uh, look at um, our stump smithy for the... W- oh, no, we had stump smithy. Uh, give me a thump over the head. Uh, let's have a look at uh, our uh, <laughs> Mount Rushmore for the week. I'm just uh, looking some notes, actually, on my first one, and that's why I got distracted. Uh, Ricardo, uh, you go first, though. Uh, we're looking at the four people, the four people uh, who, uh, of course, uh, as umpires or officials, have um, really, uh, I guess, pissed us off or pissed a lot of people off. Well, as a fan, I've got to say, David Ellery was the first man. When you said to me last night, when we were talking about the Mount Rushmore, and you said, let's do this, I was like, the first one that popped to mind was David Ellery, who was a former professional referee in the Premier League. He was the schoolmaster. He didn't, he wouldn't converse with players. He took, he, you know, and which not, is not always a bad thing, but he just wouldn't engage at all. Spoke down to them like they were naughty school kids. He had that very schoolmaster uh, type uh, of attitude. He also, as a United fan, sent Roy Keane off four times in his career and also wow. and sent off Dennis Irwin in a game against Liverpool at Old Trafford because Dennis Irwin hadn't seen an offside flag and continued to play on and, and uh, booked him a second time for kicking the ball away and then sent him off. Uh, so David Ellery, for me, uh, he'll always be um, one of those guys that when I saw he was refereeing, I, there was the inward groan. And then uh, post that as well, he ended up being uh, the chair of the referees committee, but he's now had to retire uh, altogether and has been removed from all official capacities after um, asking a black referee at St George's Park at a refereeing concert in front, in front of several people, have you been down a coal mine, mate? And uh, he has had lots of uh, um, complaints against him for historic uh, racial uh, allegations as well. Not a nice man. Not a nice man by the sounds of things at all. Uh, Goodness me, not a nice man, which fits into the category of my uh, number four. I've got to say, this fellow's name was uh, Shakur Rana, Shakur Rana from Pakistan. Now, he had massive spats on the field of play with... uh, People like Sunil Gavaskar with our very own Jeremy Coney. Um, and um, to be perfectly honest, the, the worst one of the lot was uh, with Mike Gatting. Mm. When he and Mike Gatting had a, a massive stoush in the middle of the field. Um, and he waved his hands and said and called a dead ball. As he accused Gatting of cheating. You are waving your hand, that's cheating. In other words, he's, he, Gatting was he's saying you're trying to shift fielders while the bowler's running in. Gatting said, I'm not. I actually tried to stop the bowler uh, fielder running in. I, I was actually telling them to stay still. Uh, responded to instead of asking, he, he said, look, here's the thing. Um, they had a massive standoff. Uh, it got involved with the British ambassador and everything. 
and uh, it was a serious row brewing for some time. It could well lead to the cancellation of the rest of the tour. Uh, to be uh, up on the information that you'd know that um, the English cricket team, each and every one of them by the Test and County Cricket Board, were paid £1,000 to stay. £1,000 to stay. Um, Rana, on the other hand, uh, this is what he said. In Pakistan, many men have been killed for the sorts of insults he threw at me. He's lucky I didn't beat him, and even luckier, no spectator came onto the field to assault him. I have now have established that the umpire is the superpower in the game. I did it for umpires everywhere. Wow. That's Shakurana. <laughs> Lovely bloke. Lovely. What's your number three? No, my number three is um, the head of the snake, as he is known amongst a lot of rugby league fans, Graham Annesley. Uh, wasn't a fan of him as a referee. Now he's the head of the referees. And he's the bloke that has to front. And I do feel sorry for him sometimes when he has to front. But more times than not, he will find an excuse. He will. He's, in fact, over the years, contradicted himself when making an excuse on behalf of one of his officials on the, on, on the field and their call. And he said, well, they've done it for this reason and that's the right call. And then when a call's gone the other way on the same ruling, you know, weeks later, he's... He's then fronted it the other way. So um, anybody that gives Ashley Klein state of origin games after the season he's had, I think you've got to say uh, Graham Annesley's culpable. Uh, I think the uh, most rugby league fans, particularly this part of the world, uh, would say the whole thing needs a review, needs a look at. And boy, you wouldn't want Graham Annesley in the uh, in the bunker for that review. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't after that. Uh, here's one for you. Uh, my number three is. Uh, Bill Adlam. Now, Bill Adlam is a, a rugby referee. He was doing uh, domestic rugby as such. Uh, he was um, an interesting fellow. He uh, refereed a game of rugby, which I was at, and I was living as an impressionable young youth, trying to work my way through the banking uh, regime. Got the afternoon off and went down to watch uh, North Auckland, or Northland, or was it back in those days, challenge for the Ranfilly Shield. It was a um, a midweek game and uh, we flocked there, it was a sellout and in the 48, he didn't treat us well throughout the game, man or two generally were um, pretty good in the forward areas, well he didn't let them uh, be that good um, and then in the 48th minute, the 48th minute of the second half, right um, in those days they didn't add time on as such, it was in the referee's hands it wasn't a, a hooter or anything like that 48th minute, he penalised um, uh, uh, two for Johnny Gilmer coming around the side of the scrum too early. He was the halfback. Chippy Semenov kicked the goal, scraped it off the post, and uh, pretty much after that he blew final whistle, and the shield went north to Northland um, in the 48th minute of the second half. And you don't believe me, ask Mark Stafford in mm. a few minutes what it meant to his life. So that, that's uh, one that lives on my mind. <laughs> and Manawatu never had the shield back since that moment. Right, okay. So your number two. My number two is a, uh, it's kind of a twofer really, and one of them's a player, but I, I get your take on this, Smithy, because I know you'll remember it well. I, I used to love watching Kurtley Ambrose bowl. He was one of my favourite mm. players at, at his peak. And it was a World Series final against Australia in the early 90s. Kurtley Ambrose had the old reggae wristband on, the uh, yellow, green mm. and, and red wristband on. Uh, came in and Dean Jones walked away and said to the umpire, Terry Pree, has to take the armband, he has to take his wristband off because it's distracting, which I thought was just gamesmanship from, from Dean Jones. Terry Pru agreed with Dean Jones and made Curtly Ambrose take that wristband off. Uh, there was much mm. argument about it, but boy, was it probably the worst call of Dean Jones's career because after that, I think every ball was designed to take Dean Jones's head off his shoulders. Stupid. 
That's the only way I'd uh, describe that, Ricardo. Stupid. When you fire up Kirtley Ambrose, that is at your own peril. <laughs> A lot of texters coming in with Wayne Barnes. He didn't make my list, I can tell you that, because my number two is a fellow by the name of Edward James. Now, if you haven't heard of Edward James, you really only have to listen to this to understand because apparently, apparently, according to uh, somebody, this was crazy stuff. serious man you cannot be serious that ball was on the line shock blew up there you go that fella's name was edward james no one ever knew who that was but i can tell you it's edward james he passed away uh late last year i think at the age of 91 after a long and proud history with um wimbledon and the tennis association in britain highly respected man by everyone apart from john McEnroe, who really uh, was uh, out of line there. And you know what Edward James said, uh, Ricardo? Um, one of his last uh, thoughts was that I always wish that um, John McEnroe uh, had uh, the, the gumption and the manners to apologise. He said he never will. And that, that was quite sad. I read about him yesterday. So that was some Edward James. Yeah, there you go. Well, we are uh, seven minutes away from uh, midday, Smith. And you know, I think we'd better take a break and come back with our number one because we've got the same number one. Okay, cool. Let's do that. We'll be back shortly here uh, with your number one, Mount Rushmore. Yes, as we head into midday, this is the biggest villain we've been able to find, and we agreed on it, both of us, uh, Ricardo and myself. This is uh, an Australian umpire who really did get it wrong. Oh, and he's gone right through him. Hit him on the pad. An umpire French says no. Danny Morrison couldn't believe it. He thought that that was the one. It did swing back a little. It may have just been going down leg side. But I think the New Zealanders could regard themselves as reasonably unfortunate there. Yep, that was Rod Marsh uh, saying that we were unfortunate. That was Danny Morrison trapping Craig McDermott in front to win a test match at the MCG, denied by Dick French. Awful, just a bloody awful decision. However, I'm over it, as you can tell. Ricardo, thank you very much uh, for your efforts today and over the last few days. Robbie, happy, happy birthday. Uh, have, you, have a great day. And uh, Arawa, thank you also. Staffy next with darts on the agenda. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.